Today, I want to talk about uh, this week's Torah portion and what we're going into. We've just finished the first book of the Torah. There's five books of the Torah. We're now entering the second book. Anyone know what's called? Does anyone know what it, it is called? I said that a bit quickly. Shemot. What does Shemot mean? Names. Good. Names. Names. That's not what we call it in English. What's the name of the second book in English? Exodus. Describing the Exodus from Egypt. Good. So the second book is actually called Exodus in English, but in Hebrew, it's called Shemot. So why is it called Shemot? Let me tell you. Because when we start learning about the Jews leaving Egypt, we are reminded of the story of Jacob again, one more time, and his family. So we now finished the book of Bereshit. We've now started the book of Shemot. And again, even though they passed on, we've learned that they passed away. It was the whole book of Bereshit. They, they died. Listen well here because I'm going to teach you an amazing lesson here. They died. Everything happened. Like they, they moved on 200 years later. The Jews are ready to be leaving Egypt, and that's the start of the book of Shemot. So we're starting this book, and it's called Names. Why? Because it's reminding me of all the names of the family of Jacob, the 70 members of the family that came down to Egypt when Joseph became second in command and brought back the whole Jewish people, uh, his whole family, down to Egypt to be with him during the famine, right? Remember that whole story that we've been going on about? And now it's Exodus. The Jews are about to leave Egypt. But for some reason, it repeats the names of everybody. Why? Why? This is a question that Rashi asks, and he says something fascinating. He says, we already mentioned all of them in their lifetime. The Torah clearly just in Genesis, in the book of Bereshit, clearly says each one of them. And it counted them. And it told us the number of who they were, how many they had, and their children. It told us all their information. And now when it starts the book of Exodus in Hebrew, which is called Shemot, names, it says it again. Why? Don't we know who they are? And Rashi says, it's coming to teach me how much love they have like stars. They are loved like the stars. Why? Hashem, the creator of the universe, brings stars and takes them out. They, the light is diminished and brought in. There's, there's trillions of stars. It's unfathomable how many they are. And each one of them, according to Jewish teaching, has a name. We name the stars as humans, but actually, you can actually, you know that you can actually name yourself. You name a star under your, under your name. Did you know that you can do that? There's a website that you can do. You can go on and you can name a star under your name. Now, don't think it's uh, that special that you're able to do that because there's billions and billions of stars and there's only 7 billion human beings. But scientists have actually given us an ability to name stars under our own names. Um, and you can do that online. You can find it online. I'm sure you can Google it and find a way to add your name to a star. So it says here that every single star has a name. There's not just stars out there. Each one of them has a name. As it says, each one of them has a specific name. Nice one, Omri. It's better to buy a letter in the Torah. I agree. I agree. But each one of these stars has a name. And what's it trying to teach me? It's teaching me that when a person does great things in this world, they are repeated. They are remembered even after they pass on. Jacob's sons, Jacob's whole family died. And now it's the great, great grandchildren now are alive. But they're reminded, Hashem says, wait, I need to call their names again. I need to mention who they are again. Because don't just think we are all a blimp in history. We are this, you know, passing reality in history and that's it. No. Every single human being, if Hashem gives a name to every star, do you think he doesn't care about you? 
Do you think Judaism believes that you don't matter? You are way greater than any star. You're much more powerful than any star, especially when you do great things. And that's what we're learning from this very beginning of the Shemot of the book of Exodus. Renames everybody. Why? To tell me that each one is special, just like when we have billions of stars and each one of them is mentioned, each one of them has a name, all the more so us human beings, even if our light has been diminished in this world, our star has a name, it has an influence, it has an impact, and it stays on forever. So that's the very beginning, before we even start talking about what it is. But I want to also mention that we are now in, many people don't know this, in a period of time which is called Shovavim. Shovavim Tat. Can you say that? Shovavim Tat. Shovavim Tat. We are in a time of Shovavim Tat, which means that because we're reading these Torah portions called Shemot Va'era Bo, it's an acronym, Shemot Va'era Bo, Beshalach Yitro Mishpatim Teruma, we're reading all these Torah portions that we're coming up from Exodus. We're actually in a certain period of time which is a bit more serious. Why? There's a lot Kabbalistically behind this, but think about this idea. We're now reading the stories of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. Now we're starting that story and eventually we're going to get to Passover. But we're now starting to read this story. And it, what is this story? It's the story of um, us, our own lives. Look at, look at the story. It's our own lives. The Jews come out of Egypt. They, after 210 years of slavery under the worst of space, in the, in the worst of reality, they come out of that. Then they go for 49 days, which according to Judaism means they leave their 49 levels of impurity. There's 50 altogether levels of impurity and we can raise ourselves to 50 levels of purity. So they grow and they come out of slavery, a place where they thought they can never understand they can leave. And eventually they leave and they get, they start making their way. They receive the Torah. So they come from slaves to the Jewish people receiving the Torah, servants of Hashem. And then they go from there to learning the laws of Mishpatim, which is the laws of how we can be between us and our friends. That's the beginning of the Torah, that how it was given to us. And then from there, we go straight to the laws of building the tabernacle. So we go from the worst place ever to the most miraculous spiritual place that you can imagine the jewish people building the tabernacle completely connected to spirituality can you imagine what this means and because we're reading this now it's a time where that energy is also in us and it's a possibility for us to really internalize the story of exodus to really think about this story and influence ourselves to become a better and more spiritual purpose uh, person shovavim means to return to improve to take ourselves out of our own slavery and slowly 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 work towards that day of passover which is going to happen in about four months from now slowly working our way till passover where we go through the experience that the Jews went as we read this book of Shemot, we read the book of Exodus, we ourselves are now slowly taking ourselves out of that pit. And for that reason, uh, many rabbis throughout our history would work on themselves. They would do what we would call Tanitibu. They Today we can't fast because we're not on a level where we can and, and inflict ourselves in ways that they used to. Um, to in order to grow spiritually and i don't mean inflict in ways that are painful that you can't bear but there's certain things that we could do to make us more connected to the spiritual for instance being able to turn away from something just because i can have it is a tremendous sense of self-discipline and it can actually make you grow a lot um, in the morning, not speaking for during this time, 
not speaking for an extra half an hour. An extra half an hour, no speaking or working on avoiding Lashon Hara, gossip, avoid doing that to other people. So just for at least take on 30 minutes, 20 minutes a day of working on Lashon Hara, of no speaking about people. And these are the days to do that. Now is the day because we're now reading about Exodus, the Jews leaving their slavery. We are all people, humans that make mistakes, but then we get into our habits. Being in a habit is being in Egypt. It's you're so stuck in your habit, you can't see yourself getting out of it. And now's the time through the study of Shemot, through the study of Exodus, to to go into your own space and reflect and say, okay, how can I grow? How can I overcome my Yetzirah, my inclination? What can I do? Small things that I can do to improve, to return, to become a better person, because that's what these days represent. We were all slaves in Egypt. What does that mean? Why are we so obsessed with Egypt? Because when we remember that we were slaves, we remember that we too are slaves. We were slaves to the physical to a point where we're not able to think right. You know, Judaism is not against us enjoying the physical world, but enjoying it in moderation, enjoying it with purpose, enjoying it in the right way. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the physical world. We have wine in Judaism. We, have, um, we don't believe that people should avoid getting married, right? We actually believe that that's a mitzvah. There's no such thing in our religion which says that we completely commit ourselves to God in a way that we disconnect completely from the physical world. No, that's against Judaism, actually. It's against Judaism to not enjoy the physical world. You have to enjoy the physical world. But it needs to be done in a place of moderation. If, for instance, I train myself, I think, I personally think that Amazon is the most amazing thing that happened to the world but it's also the, the craziest, most responsible um, thing that it can put on us. Technology is the most amazing thing that happened to the world. Can you imagine what would happen to us if there wasn't technology? What would happen to 2020 without technology? Have you ever thought about that? That would be a crazy world. Like, you know, um, during all those riots, people said, just turn off the Wi-Fi. Get rid, of their, get rid of their internet access and everyone will be running home. It's true. When we just, we don't realize how um, connected we are through the internet. But on the other hand, it's also giving us a tremendous amount of um, ability to waste our time to, you know, we call it the smartphone It's there to make us more smart, but what does it do at the end of the day? It makes us less smart. We rely on it too much, and we're not thinking. We call it the social media, because it's there to make us more social, but it actually makes us less social, right? So the exact opposite of what we're trying to achieve in our modern-day technology is, in our conveniences, is exactly what's happening. And that's how it always has been. Whenever we have come up with some kind of new technology, it always has the ability to help us, but also cripple us at the same time. And it takes tremendous um, self-discipline to get away from that addiction. Just this week, I spoke to somebody, he was crying to me, and he said his kids are absolutely addicted to technology. He doesn't know how to get them out of it. He cannot get his kids off, off their phones um, it's just terrible. It's devastating. He doesn't know what to do. So this is the Egypt that we need to all get out of ourselves. We all need to get out of our own Egypt. What is it? The slavery to the instant gratification, the slavery to now I want this, I'm going to get it. And we're trained, you know, Amazon, we thought it's going to help us save more money. But what did it do? It makes us spend more money, right? So the ability to have everything at our fingertips also bears a a tremendous side effect, a tremendous responsibility. 
And also it trains us to work with our instinct all the time. Oh, I need this. I'll get it. Oh, I need that. I'll get it. And it takes just to practice. There's nothing wrong with the physical world. Don't get me wrong. But just to practice, a person must go through certain parts of his lifetimes in his life where he says, I could get this, but I'm actually going to decide I'm not going to get it. Oh, I could get this food, but I'm actually not going to get it this time. I could buy this, but I'm not going to buy it this time. I don't have to. I didn't have to. I could, but I didn't have to. Training ourselves in, in this regard is a tremendous and a beautiful thing. And it's something that we should all do. So that's the time that we're in. And it's, it takes a small thing. Here's the question that I want to leave you. That everybody should go out of this call tonight with. Is there anything I say to myself no to? Not because I don't deserve it. Of course I deserve everything. But I also deserve to be healthy. And part of being healthy is to have self-discipline, not to be enslaved to my needs. Oh, I need something? I'm going to pursue it. I need this? I'm going to pursue it. Are we able to train ourselves to say no to anything? And the truth is, how often do we say no to things within ourselves? How often do we really say no to things within ourselves. We need a sense of discipline and now's the time to start it through the story of Shemot, studying it, taking on every day a 20 minute, half an hour, something that you would want within yourself to change. So that's the beginning, but I want to move on and talk about um, some of the ideas here. So it says we all know that how did Exodus start? How did the story of enslavery start? I mean, Joseph was a Jew and he saved the entire Egypt. How can they forget that story? He saved the people. He was the one that saved everyone. He saved the world. He became a king in Egypt. How did it come to a point that they were enslaved? What, what, how did it go from Jews being the leaders of Egypt to being the slaves of Egypt? And it says, it says that there was a new king that came who did not know Joseph. There was a new king, Vayakum Melech Chadash, a new king came to Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And the obvious question is, what do you mean he didn't know Joseph? How can you not know Joseph? Whether you're a new king or the same king, doesn't make a difference. How can you not know the story of Joseph? It's your country. You are the leader of the country. Don't you remember the story that there was a Jew that he... So he helped save the whole of Egypt. How can it be you didn't know Joseph? So our rabbis say he made himself not know Joseph. Of course he knew about Joseph. He was, Joseph was in the history of Egypt. He was the hero of Egypt. But he made himself as if he did not know. How did he make himself not know? So there are some explanations. One of them is, he trained himself in terms of gratitude. He forgot a sense of gratitude. Whenever um, there's a trouble in society, especially with anti-Semitism, it stems, it roots from a lack of gratitude, amongst many other things, but it, look, it roots from the lack of gratitude. How can somebody have a whole country saved by a certain person and then ignore all of his good that he did to you and turn against. How can you do that? You'll see that all evil, almost all evil, stems from a lack of gratitude. Look throughout history. Think about anybody in history uh, that did terrible things. Starting with Pharaoh. You'll see that it started with a sense of a lack of gratitude. You read Mein Kampf, a lack of gratitude for all the people that was in your life, all the Jews that did good to you in your life, all the Jews that made the country successful. It's a lack of gratitude. We think not having gratitude or not working on gratitude is a simple thing, but it's actually a 
such an important value that we need to work constantly work on because it can actually cause us to get to a place of evil. We think I am right, but because I lack gratitude in my life, I can actually come to a place where I'm doing things which are evil. And that's a very powerful message as well. But there is another message that we can learn from this statement that there was a new king who did not know Joseph. What does it mean he didn't know Joseph? He didn't know the story of Joseph. Of course he knew Joseph, but he didn't know the story of Joseph. What was the story of Joseph? I'll tell you the story of Joseph quickly. His brothers said, let's throw him in a pit. You know why? Because he's saying all these dreams and he's interpreting these dreams and saying that I am going to be one day the leader of my entire family. He says, he keeps telling them, I have dreams. And the dream is that there's going to be stars serving my star and everyone's going to bow down to me. That's what he was telling his brothers. And his brothers said, I don't like that. And they threw him in a pit. And then they sent him to Egypt. And eventually what happened to Joseph? He was in prison for 10 years, 12 years. And eventually he gets pulled out. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He comes, out of, he, he comes out of the pit of the prison and Joseph comes second in command of the land of Egypt. He comes the king of Egypt. And eventually his dreams came true. His brothers came down to Egypt and his father came down to Egypt and everybody bowed down to Joseph because he was the king of Egypt. So his dream really came true. How did his dream come true? Through his brothers. It's a fascinating thing. Joseph says, I have a dream that I am going to be eventually a a leader and everyone is going to serve me. And eventually what happens? This is fascinating. His brothers are the ones that help him. They're the ones that help him to get to a point where they actually do serve him. It's a very powerful lesson. The same with Pharaoh. What happened with Pharaoh? He says, oh, I'm going to overcome. I'm going to be smarter than anybody. I'm going to have, I'm going to stop these Jews from being successful in my country. And I'm going to be wiser than God. And he starts seeing, Pharaoh also sees that the Jews are actually going to be saved. And he says, they're going to be saved by a male. So he starts throwing all the Jewish male kids in the river, in the Nile River. And he says, oh, I I need to stop them. I need to stop these these Jews from succeeding in my country. So he throws them all in the river. And then eventually they were very wise people. They had uh, astrologers in, in ancient Egypt. They were very into reading the stars, which is a big thing according to Judaism as well. And they would read the stars, and there was a certain day where they said to him, Pharaoh, today we see in the stars that the savior of the Jewish people has been born. But we do not know if he's Egyptian or if he's Jewish. We're confused. Pharaoh says, immediately, any boy that was born today, throw him in the river. Any child that's born, throw him in the river. Whether it's Egyptian or Jewish, A child that's born today has to be thrown in the river. And that's what he did. But what happened at the end? Do you know what happens at the end? His Pharaoh has a daughter and his daughter is called Batya. And she was a spiritual person. She was a good person. And eventually she converted to Judaism. She was called Batya, the daughter of Hashem. And She was at the river and she sees the baby crying and she says, let's save this child. Who is it? She starts seeing that it's a very special child. It was a child that looked, had favor in her eyes. Hashem obviously made a miracle that that child was attractive to this queen, this princess. So she sees the child and she takes it out and she starts trying to feed it. And she can't, no one wants to eat from the child. And eventually, um, Miriam, who's the sister of Moshe, of Moses, is standing on the side and she sees the baby and she comes running to um, this daughter of Pharaoh and says, listen, it's a Jewish baby. 
And a Jewish baby needs a Jewish mother to feed it. She, it can't have the milk from the Egyptian mothers. The reason why it couldn't have the milk from Egyptian woman was because Moses was a person that was eventually to have prophecy, to speak to God. So he could only have milk that comes from a mother that ate certain things and was living in a certain lifestyle. Couldn't eat from anybody. The Mitzrayim, the Egyptians, were full of impurity. It needed a Jewish mother. So they brought Miriam, they brought Yocheved, the mother of Moses, Moshe's mother, to actually feed uh, and look after this baby. Where did Moses get brought up at the end? In the house of Pharaoh. He gets brought up in the house of Pharaoh. Because Batya was the daughter of the king. And she says, listen, this kid is a special kid. He is not going to be the savior of the Jewish people. She, they, 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 they tested it and she proved, look, he's not going to be the savior of the Jewish people. And Pharaoh had to give in to his daughter and eventually let Moses be brought up in his own home. So here you have Pharaoh who tried to outwit Jewish people. He tried to outwit Hashem by doing terrible things, killing all children. And what happens eventually? Through him, the Savior came. He said, I see that there's going to be a Jewish Savior and he's going to be a male. Throw all the males in the river. Let's be wiser than God. What does God say? Are you trying to be wiser than me? Doing evil? From you is going to come the salvation. Not from somewhere else, but from you. This is an amazing idea. From you is going to come the salvation. This, what's, what's the idea here? Same with Joseph. His brother said, oh, you think you're going you're gonna to be the one that's going to be having us serve you? <laughs> they threw him in the pit. And what did that cause? The brothers, by throwing him in the pit, caused, him to go all the, caused Joseph to go all the way to Egypt. And because Joseph was in Egypt, he became secondhand man of Egypt and saved the entire country. His brothers now came down and they served Joseph. It was all because of their action. This is a very powerful message. What's the message? In life, you will face somebody that tries to trick you. You will face somebody that's rude to you, that tries to outwit you. That's just how life is. Somebody who's going to steal, who's going to come and outsmart you. And the reality is you will outsmart them if you are right. This is a faith, a belief that we have in Judaism. No one can outsmart Hashem. If this is meant to happen, it's going to happen no matter what. No one can outsmart God. There's an amazing um, story of the Chafetz Chaim, who was a, the writer, the author of Shmirat HaLashon, the book on guarding one's tongue. And he lived um, during World War I, passed away not long after. A tremendous rabbi, a very holy man. And uh, he created some of the, one of the most well-known books in the Jewish community today, we have some of them here. And his book, in his book, there's one of his books is called the Mishnah Bruran. To the end, towards the end of his life, that was the life source, that was the livelihood that his family had. They printed all these books and everybody was buying them. And that was the livelihood for him and his family. There was somebody that they used to sell the books. There was somebody from the community that they were using to sell the books. And he was a thief. He would take hundreds and hundreds of printed books saying, yes, I'm going to sell them. And every time he made some more money, made some money from the selling the books and kept a lot of the money to himself. And then again, came back to the rabbi's home, paid him a certain amount, but not all the money that he made. A lot of money kept keeping for himself, kept keeping for himself, kept keeping for his, until it came to a point where his family couldn't handle it anymore. The Chafetz Chaim realized that something's odd, but he kept quiet. He, he was done the Kafschut. He always judged favorably. He said, for sure, if he's stealing in front of me like this, it must be he needs the money in a way. It can't be. He's on a very high level. Not everyone's like this. But he would look at him and say, it must be that he really needs the money. 
He's for sure going to pay me back. Must be he's going to fit. He needs the money. So he comes again, steals uh, all the books, takes all the books. And this time his family couldn't handle it. And they said to him, you are not going to take any more books from our home. You are stealing these books. You're taking all the books, pretending to sell them. And then you keep the money for yourself. He went, was very embarrassed and he started to cry. And he says, listen, I, I, I know I owe you a lot of money. I've sold a lot of books, but what can I do? This is what this thief said. Every time I come home, every single time I come home, my wife needs the money. She needs it for all her clothes. She needs it for all her things. She has a lot of, she has a desire to spend a lot of money and she doesn't let me uh, come home with the money. She needs the money. So um, what can I do? So what does the Chafetz Chaim do? The Chafetz Chaim, he hears that conversation in the other side of his ear. He hears that conversation. He sees the man crying. He runs after him, takes out his favorite scarf, the most beautiful, most expensive scarf that he has. And he says to him, listen, it seems that your wife really would appreciate this. Please take this and give it to her as a gift. Take this scarf of mine and please give it to her as a gift. It seems that she really, really needs it. And that's what he did. Took the scarf and went to the Chafetz Chaim and uh, gave it to... Uh, the Chafetz Chaim took this, his own scarf and went to this person and gave him his scarf. What an amazing story of uh, greatness. Somebody who's on such a high level, I don't know anyone who's like this, but who's on such a high level that's able to not only see a thief in his own eyes, but also to help him. That person never came back again. After he received this gift from the rabbi, never came back again to take more books or steal in any way. He realized somebody who's so kind, so loving, can do such a thing, I will never steal from him again. There's no way. You can be in a business. I don't know what business you're in. Whatever it is, if somebody comes to you to try and take your money, somebody comes to you to try and deceit, uh, to come and, and in, a, in a crooked way, take what's yours, a person with faith always says, what's meant to be mine will be mine. I'm not going to fight and lower myself to that person's level. Oh, he wants to steal my money? Okay, fine. Let him steal my money. What's meant to be mine will be mine. And in fact, we believe that you will make more money because of this person. The people that do evil to you, they will be the ones that will actually bring you the success that you need. So that's another lesson that we learn from here. A fascinating idea. The, the people, no one can change what's meant to be for you. People could throw you in a pit, send you to the other side of the world, but they will be at the end of the day the ones that will help what's meant to happen for you happen to you. They would actually be the ones. The people that try to hurt you will be your savior. It's an amazing idea that we have. Not only will they be, you know, not only are they trying to hurt me, but they will actually be the ones that save me at the end. We also learn that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was born and he was this kid. He was saved by the daughter of Pharaoh, brought into the house of Pharaoh, and he grew up there. And at this point, it starts the story of the Jewish people being saved. Let me just go to the next um, idea. So Moses had to run away from Egypt. The story is that Moses was stuck in the house of Pharaoh. He was treated like a king. He was very well looked after and he was not a slave. But even though he was not a slave, he noticed how there was a certain Egyptian that was doing terrible things to a certain family. He noticed what he did. And immediately, he went and killed him. He was hitting this uh, this Egyptian, was hitting someone in a way which was terrible. He was hitting his wife uh, a terrible way. And Moses decided no one's looking. He saw this Jew in, in, in distress, even though he was in the house of the king. 
He could have just ignored it. He went out. He looked and he saw what this was happening and he went and killed this person, um, this Egyptian. And because of that, the word got out and Moses had to run away from Egypt and he ran to another town called Midian. He left Egypt miraculously and went into this place called Midian, which is where he got married and starts speaking to Hashem. He speaks to Hashem. I want to tell you these stories because it's so important to understand the message that's here, hidden behind it. He speaks to Hashem. And what does Hashem say to him? Hashem says to him, listen. First of all, it does, it's not like he just has a, a vision and God comes to him. There was a fire on a, on a tree, a bush, that was not burning. A strange phenomenon was going on. And Moses sees it at the corner of his eyes. And he turns his head. Our rabbis teach us from here that a person, how much good can come to a person when you are aware of your surroundings. He noticed something strange. So he turns around. And he runs towards the bush. And he sees that this bush is not being consumed. It's, there's a fire coming out of this bush, but it's, it's not burning it. He says, Moshe says, Moses says, I need to go and see what's going on here. Why is it not getting burnt? Why is it not getting consumed? And Hashem sees that he's walking towards the bush. And at that point, he, he starts calling his name slowly. He says, Moshe, Moshe, Moses, Moses. And Moshe says, Hineni, here I am, here I am. It was a prophecy. And that's how prophecy, a very powerful lesson, how prophecy works. It works in a way which is slow. It doesn't just come to you straight away that you have this great revelation. It comes to you in a way which is slow. First, there's something strange happening. You go there and then slowly uh, Hashem speaks to Moshe. What does that teach me? That also us, when we come to somebody, right? this is God. But also us, when we come to somebody, we need to slowly let them know before we actually just walk in. As much as it's great to pull off a, a joke on someone, it's also always important to um, be aware of when, some, when, you, when you're coming in, that somebody is, is aware of your presence. Today, it's normal to text somebody before you enter their home. You don't just knock on their door. You let them know before you come to knock on their door. I think that's a good thing. It's me not just walking into somebody's privacy, not just walking into somebody's reality. This is his space. You can't just walk into it. We have in our house a guest room. Always. We always like to have a guest room. Now the family's kind of filling the house and we're living in LA, but you know. We always have a room where we put the kids in one room if we have a guest. And that room is designated for guests if they come and they could stay for Shabbat or whatever. We have a rule. No one goes into that room. Even if the person, the guest says to us, oh, you can just go in. We don't go into that person's room. It's my house. Yes. But that person's in there and it's his space. It's his privacy and part of his enjoyable experience in my home is I don't walk in to that room. You don't just walk into somebody's space, even if it's in your own house. I learned that from my mother-in-law. When we uh, got married, so for a, while, a short while, we stayed in my parents-in-law's house. We moved to our own, but for a while we were there in and out. I never saw my mother-in-law step foot into our room even if she needed something during the day. She would wait for me to first come, then ask me, Shira's mom, then ask me, is it okay if I go in there to get something? Or maybe you can get me something from the room. I'm like, it's your house. What do you mean? It's your house. But that's what it is. I don't walk into your space just like that. It's Hashem. He's coming to speak to me. He's coming to give me. Yeah, but even God, doesn't just walk and appear to you. That's not how it's meant to work. I don't enter somebody's space like that. I go in 
and it comes in in a slow transformation, calling his name. What does that mean he called his name? He doesn't have to. He could just appear to him. What does it mean that God called his name, right? God's an infinite being. Hashem could do anything. What does it mean he called his name? Moshe, Moshe, twice. Because that's the way it's meant to be done with us as well. You never, if God works that way, and he knows exactly what needs to be done, all the more so we should work that way with other people as well. So with you too, in the future when you have children, there's always a space that they need. And you must give them that space. It's really important for their health. That's something else that we learn from here. So what does Hashem say to Moshe? He says to him, listen, you have to remove your shoes from here. This place that you're standing on is holy. He says to him, remove your He happened to be in, in Temple Mount. This was where Moses was. He was in Temple Mount. He says to him, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses was a shepherd. It's another, by the way, another powerful um, idea. All of the Jewish people's Leaders were shepherds. What does it take to be a shepherd? A lot of patience. A lot of care. You can't just have the sheep running after you. You have to have a lot of care. It's constant care. If you, if you have a farm, you're busy with it all day. There's nothing else. A person like that can become a leader. A person like that will have, if you have enough compassion to make your life work working for uh, animals, you'll be able to have compassion for humans as well. Obviously, within the right balance, right? But we see such a powerful idea. All of the Jewish leaders were shepherds. Moshe too. He became a shepherd when he ran off from Egypt. And Hashem says to him, listen, you are in a holy place. Remove your shoes. Today, synagogues don't have that significance but in temple mount if we were to go back to temple mount we're not really allowed in there but if we were we're actually required to take off our shoes take off our shoes to be completely physically connected to the spiritual worlds of that space okay i don't want to get into the whole thing of the shoes right now because i want to go into the next discussion there's obviously tremendous meaning behind it obviously so hashem says to um Moses, he says, I am Hashem, your father, I have made a promise. Moses starts turning away. He was afraid to see and to speak to Hashem. Hashem says, I've seen all the infliction of my people and all their pain. I know it's pain and I've come to save the Jewish people and take them out of Egypt. Hashem says, I have come. But I need to take them out. And I'm going to send you to Paro. I want to make you the messenger to save the Jewish people. And what does Moshe do? Does anyone know? What does Moshe do when God says that? He says, no, it's not for me. Me Anochi, who am I? Why are you appointing this job on me? That I should go to Paro. And I should take the Jews out of Egypt. Who am I? What kind of person am I? Hashem says, don't worry, I'll be with you. And then he gives him a sign. What's his sign? I will give you a sign to prove that I am with you. Okay. Then he says to him, uh, they're going to all say, who is this? Oh, yeah, you got a Hashem came to you and he's going to speak. Moshe says to God, they're going to come to me. When I go to Egypt, I'm going to say, hey, Hashem sent me. They're going to say, who is he? What's his name? I will say, Hashem says, tell them that my name is Eheyeh, which is God's name. I will be as I will be. I will be with them in their pain. Meaning, I am the creator of the universe. I'm something that's different. I'm something that will be with them in their pain. What does that mean? I will be with them in their slavery. I'm with them in their suffering. I'm with them in all their pains that they go through. And I don't want them to go through anymore. Meaning, when they suffer, I suffer. Tell them that when they suffer, I suffer. It's something that I am going through as well. 
whatever, there's a lot of very interesting discussion. I don't have much time, but I just want to take you through some of the discussion that happens here. So Moshe says, okay, and um, uh, let me just jump. Hashem says to Moshe, he says to him, I'm going to give you three signs that you will, to show you that you could save the Jewish people. Moshe says, he fights back. He says, listen, I'm, I'm not a person of words. I can't speak. Why are you appointing me? By the way, there's a reason why God chose to not have Moshe, to have Moshe being the savior. Why did God need somebody who can't speak to save the Jewish people? Specifically, Moshe, who can't speak, was the one that's chosen to save the Jewish people. Why? To tell us, there's many reasons. One of them is to teach us that speech of Moses, imagine he was a good speaker. Then everyone would be able to say, oh, you know why the Jews followed Moses? Because he was a great influencer. He had tremendous influence. That's why he followed them. And what did he say? I can't speak. I want you who can't speak. Specifically you who can't speak. Because through you, everyone will know that it's not about speech that the Jewish people got saved. It's not about uh, your power or your influential abilities to have um, saved the Jewish people or give them the Torah. Then we would have said, oh, you know what the Torah is? It's for sure made by Moses. But now we could say it definitely wasn't. The person couldn't even speak properly. He had a spe- an inability to speak. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get worse than that, right? But yet God says, I want you. Because to remind us that that's what we need in, uh, in order to be saved, because that's what the Jewish people are. We are a people that only rely on Hashem. It's not that we have in any way a connection to human beings in terms of making them like a God, different to any other religion. We don't make any human a partner or a part in God. A human is amazing, has ability to connect, but we're never in any way uh, God. No human is God. And the savior of the Jewish people had to be someone who couldn't speak to teach us that powerful message. Anyway, so Moses, just finish off. God says to Moses, Listen, I'm going to give you three signs that you're going to show Pharaoh. And through that, you're going to save the people. What are these signs? He says to him, what's in your hand right now? Moshe says, I have a stick. That was the stick he used as a shepherd. As Hashem says, you're going to be the savior of the Jewish people. What do you have in your hand? You have a stick. A stick represents din, judgment. That's not the way you educate. You don't educate only with a stick. If you want to be a leader, it's not all about being disciplined. It's about chesed. It's about kindness. It's about transforming the discipline into kindness. So that was what he said to him. What does he say? Hold the snake by its tail. Run back. Don't run away from it. You have to get hold of the snake, but hold it by its tail. And eventually you'll have a stick. You need the stick, but not all the time. It needs to be done in a way which is of love, of compassion. So that's what happens with uh, Moshe. Now, there's also, uh, there was three things that happens, uh, three signs that God gives him. One was the stick, which turns into a snake. The other is uh, his hand, which turns, he tells him, tells him, put it in your, ha- in your pocket. It will turn, it turns into white. And then he says to him, um, also another sign is, I'm going to turn water into blood. Again, water into blood means Hashem is saying that I'm going to bring justice into the world because now is the first time the world's going to see where justice can be served. I'm going to change all the chesed that I've done and actually bring din to the Egyptian people. Till now, they received so much good. They were the most successful country. They were the most powerful country. They had everything. And yet they've done so much evil for so long. God says, here's a time where I'm going to ch- turn water into blood. Water represents chesed, kindness, and dam is blood into restriction. I'm going to actually take the kindness that's been given to these people for so long. 
Look how much time I gave them. Look how kind I've been to them, to these Egyptians. And look how they have been in return. Terrible. Hashem says, I'm going to do, now is the time, I'm going to transform it. I'm going to take this situation and actually turn it back into, bring justice into the world. It takes time for justice to be brought to the world, but eventually it does come. The snake also represents, this is what our rabbis teach us, two things. A physical danger, snakes can be dangerous physically, and it represents a spiritual danger. The snake represents the yetzerah, the evil inclination. It's The evil inclination is something that's compared to a snake. Why? Because it's a snake in Hebrew is nachash. What does nachash mean? It means nach and then chash. It's, it's calm and then suddenly it jumps. Right? So that's how the yetzerah, that's how the evil inclination within us also works. The evil inclination says, no, it's fine, it's fine, and then suddenly it attacks you. It, it suddenly comes at you in a, in a place where you can't predict. Suddenly gets to you. That's how it is with our evil inclination as well. We think, okay, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, and then suddenly it destroys us. So um, the snake represents these two things, and Hashem is sending a message to Moshe. That stick is going to transform into a snake. What you're going to be dealing with is a snake. From now on, you're going to be a leader, but know that it's not going to be easy. The leader needs to know and be aware of two two bit dangers. You know, if a snake's around and you want to trap it, how do you take? How do you stop the snake? You stop it by its head. If you st- if you look at any kind of snake trapping, you'll see they trap the snake by its head, not its tail. Hashem says, "No, go to its tail." There again, Hashem says that. The way to fight the snake is not in a way that's always very logical. It goes in a way which is by what I have predicted for you. It's not always a way that makes sense. A lot of times we fight a battle with people or whatever it is, and we think the way to fight is to be stronger. You know, the the way to fight is to... And it's not really always like that. In spiritual worlds, things are very different. We think that if you think that the Jewish people have survived just because of physical might, we are very wrong. That's not true. Because for thousands of years, we survived because of a spiritual might as well. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't physically look after ourselves. But we also have to know that a lot of our strength comes from our spiritual powers, not just by our physical powers. Think about our history. Small nation, 3, 000, over 3,000 years, still, still around. How are, we, how are we still around? Every single place we went to, they wanted to kick us out. Some reason, we're still here. You know why? Because there's a spiritual reason as well. You can't tell me that it's only because of luck and physical success. There's also a spiritual, there's a bracha, a blessing that's hidden behind this that has caused and is the real cause of our success in this world. And this is also a very powerful lesson. The way you attack your challenges is by its tail. What does that mean? By the way God commanded Moses. Moses was like running away. He says, don't run away. Hold it by its tail. Don't fight the snake by its head. Fight the snake by its tail. Because that's what I told you. It's against logic, but that's what I told you. The same with us as well. When somebody puts on a mezuzah on his door, he thinks, okay, what is it already? It's a piece of parchment on my door. But don't ever underestimate the power of spirituality. Yeah, you should lock your door as well. Of course, you lock your door at night. But you also have a mezuzah. When a person integrates both the physical needs and the spiritual needs, they come successful. Same with money. If I'm only caring about my physical health, my body, my money, my income, and I don't care about my spiritual health, I don't do any kind of work to strengthen my spiritual health, that's not going to be good for me in the long run. What we need to do is to strengthen both the physical and the spiritual. For instance, I'll give you an example. Somebody who is in his work work, you know, it's very important for him, needs to succeed, and that's all he does. 
Day, night, day, night, day, night. Shabbat comes still working. Non-stop. Work, work, work. 24 hours. Yalla, yalla. More, 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 more. I need to do more. I need to do more. It's going to help me. It's going to help me. Another hour, another hour. Eventually, you will also lose the work and you'll use, lose your health. Because what matters is not how much... Your success is not dependent only on your physical effort. We believe that your success is not... You have to have a physical effort, don't get me wrong. But at least some spiritual effort. Put in some spiritual effort. And I'll tell you what spiritual effort means. Sometimes it means folding. I want to say something annoying, but I'm just going to say no. I won't say it. That's a spiritual effort. That has powers. I put a mezuzah on my door. That has a power. Do you know something? Lighting a candle for someone's soul has a power. Did you know that? In Judaism, we light candles for people, for big tzaddikim, especially for righteous people. There's actually a list. If you, could, if you want, you can always look out online. There's lists of your sites, of dates, of people that passed away on this day. Like who passed away on this day? There's like a list of all different names of big rabbis that passed away this day. And you could just go and light a candle for that soul. That does something. It seems so insignificant. But if a person is only pursuing physicality, it will come back to you. Currently, it might feel good, but it will get back to you eventually. It will hurt you eventually. That's what we learn from the snake. The snake represents the two challenges that we face. There's a challenge of internal and there's a challenge of external. Challenge from other people that want to stop us. There are challenges from within myself that says, stop me. Eh, what's the point of life? What's the point of bothering? What's the point of trying? Right? All this language, this negativity in myself is my inner snake. And then there's the outer snake, the external snake, where people say to us, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What is this Jewish thing for anyway? A waste of time. A person must strengthen himself in both areas in order to be a successful person. It's not only about the physical success. We need that spiritual success and blessing in us as well. Believe it and stick with it and do it. It's going to only bring you. You will be on top of them all. Look at our history and you'll see that's exactly the reason of our success throughout our history. So... Um, that's some of the ideas we learned from this week's Torah portion. Moses eventually comes back. to He agrees. He goes back to Egypt and starts speaking to Pharaoh. Please let the Jews out. What does Pharaoh do? He says, oh, they're trying to get out. Let's make them work harder. Pharaoh is the snake. He represents the evil inclination. That's exactly how the evil inclination works. As soon as I start trying to think good, the evil inclination says, no, get more busy with work. Get more busy with the physical. That's what Pharaoh did. He says, oh, they're thinking of leaving? You know what? Let's make them work harder. Oh, why are they even thinking of freedom? That's how Pharaoh said. Don't even let them think of freedom. Grab them and make them work even harder. Now, till now, we supplied the bricks. From now on, they have to make the bricks themselves. They doubled their work. Double the hours. You're thinking too much. That's how the evil inclination works as well. Don't even have a minute to think. Right? We have these amazing noise-canceling headphones. So when you're in the shower, you don't think. When you're outside the shower, you don't think. When you're walking in the street, you have your phone to play with. When you're waiting for a doctor's office, you've got your phone. There's never a minute to think. That's all a big part of the evil inclination telling me, don't face your own reality. Don't think about your own reality. Just keep Grinding and don't think about your own spiritual identity and who you are and how long you're on this world. Like, what are you actually achieving? Only physical success? Well, that's part of the evil inclination is it gets me so deep into it that it's, it doesn't even let me think outside of it. And that's one of the other messages that we learn from uh, Pharaoh that as soon as he hears that the Jews want to go, he says, let's make them work harder. Okay, so those are some of the ideas that we learn, and that's the general story of the first section of the book of Exodus. Moses is born. He runs out of Egypt. He uh, 
tries to he's he's outside of Egypt he gets married and then he is convinced by God to go back and save the Jewish people he can't speak he comes he say, tries to save the Jewish people speaks to Pharaoh Pharaoh goes crazy he says let's make the Jews work harder let's not let them even think for a minute so Remember, these are the days of Shovavim Tat. When we learn these stories of the parasha, we actually internalize the energy of growth. This is now the time of Shovavim, to Shovu Banim Shovavu. Come back to do a bit more spiritual. Learn from the story of Egypt. Don't go through 70, 80 years of your life and look back and say, I was a slave. I was a slave in Egypt. Come out of this uh, story and remember that you are not a slave. You're free. Come out of your own slavery. Walk out. Bring in the Torah. Eventually come to the most spiritual places, the greatest of places. And you'll feel good within yourself and you'll succeed physically as well. But that's the aim, to internalize both things, both the physical and the spiritual. Okay, so I wish you all a great night.